0: Well, Good morning. morning. Uh, At this time, if our kids will be dismissed, uh, you can meet your teachers out in the lobby to take you to uh, your classes. Uh, My name is Emmanuel, and I'm one of the elders and pastors here at Providence. Uh, I want to remind us again, uh, one of our goals for this three year is to continue being a church that worships and prays together. And so I want to remind us next Sunday from 5.30, 7.30, as Nicole mentioned, there'll be uh, two locations for our prayer and worship night. Uh, If you've not already signed up to join, uh, please email Katie or meet her in the uh, lobby at the welcome table. It's going to be a great time for us to gather, to seek the Lord's face, uh, to worship together and honor our God for what he is doing, what we hope he will do in our midst. Amen. So please join us for that. Uh, Nate and Stacy were a couple who moved to Mississippi in the late 1990s. Uh, They get there, and they had struggles finding a place to stay. Uh, They had struggle finding uh, work. Uh, It was just a very, very tough time for them. Along with that, they also struggled with infertility. But they kept going. They kept pushing. They kept being determined, and eventually they found jobs. They found a place to stay, uh, but infertility continued, and so they decided to adopt a little girl. Her name was Jayla, and she had some disabilities. And the sad part is their family members said, hey, hey, don't adopt her. Go for someone else. Go for for a healthier child, which broke their their heart, but they refused and decided we're going to adopt this girl and love her as our own. A few months after the adoption was finalized, they discovered that they were pregnant. The sad thing happened during the pregnancy. Stacy ended up passing away along with the baby. So here's Nate, a single parent raising a young girl. He eventually found a second part-time job to support he and his daughter when she turned 12 one day after arriving home from work she said daddy on my 15th birthday what are you going to give me what are you going to give me and being tired from work and getting ready for the next uh work nate responded honey that's too far away we'll get there when we get there several years later Here's Jayla, she's now 14 years old, about a week from her 15th birthday. Nate's at work and he received a call saying your daughter fainted at school and is being rushed to the hospital. I'm going to stop there and come back to that story later on. We're in the second week of our seven-week series on our core values. Our core values are basically how we do what we do, how we fulfill our mission to live as fully loved and devoted followers of Christ and to love our neighbors to do the same. Our core values are also how we fulfill the three loves, to love the Lord together, to love our family together, and to love our neighbors together. These are how we do what we do. As we're on this journey as a church, We've been here for 15 amazing, incredible years. As we continue forward, we want to recall, we want to remember our values. And some of these values are going to be transformed. They're not changing. They're still our values. They may be refined to prepare us for what lays ahead. That's the purpose of going through this series. Last week, we covered relational weave. We talked about how God has put us together with people who are different from us. Think of a, a rug or, or, or a mosaic artwork. Uh, our, our, our different pieces of different colors, different shapes coming together to, to, to shape, to make a beautiful image. And the cool thing is, I want to say again, Providence, well, what was awesome is last week at the feast, you guys demonstrated this. Amen. Really well. As I walked around, people had their phones on using translating apps. People were laughing and talking really awesome. So I want to say hey, Providence, great work. I'm doing what God has called us to do. Today we're looking at the next core value, expensive love. Expensive love. And what do we mean by this is we follow the example of Jesus who although he was rich made himself poor for us, our sake so that we through his poverty might become rich real love the love of jesus is an expensive love committed to the well-being of others no matter the cost expensive love means messy relationships and invading personal space with intentionality what's expensive love it's the picture of christ on the cross Picture of Christ on the cross. And there's no better story as I was thinking about this that reflects this kind of love than the famous story of the good Samaritan. If you're, raised in, if you're raised in the church, you've heard this so many times. We're told that one day here's Jesus hanging out and a lawyer or an expert in the law shows up. And his goal, his plan is to basically trip Jesus up, to embarrass Jesus before the crowd. And so he says, teacher, how can I have eternal life? How can I live forever? How can I be a part of what God is doing on the earth? Christ tells him, you know the law. What's it say? How do you read the law? And the lawyer basically repeats the Shema. One of the most important phrases for the Jewish people. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Therefore, love the Lord your God with all your labab, with all your heart, with all your nephesh, your soul, with all your miod, your, your strength, your might. Love God with all that you have. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself, which comes from Leviticus. And Christ responds to him, great, do this and you will live. But we're told that the man wanted to justify himself. Christ embarrassed him, which is pretty common if you challenge the king of the universe. To justify him, and says, hey, who is my neighbor? You tell me who I'm supposed to love. Because in their culture, your neighbor was someone who looked like you, acted like you, believed the way you believed. So who is my neighbor, Jesus? And we expect him to say, someone like you. Lives where you live. Does what you do. Likes what you like. But Christ, in typical Jesus fashion, tells this story. It says the man coming down from Jerusalem, taking the 18-mile road back home to Jericho. And he knows that when he travel, he travel with a group of people, but he's by himself. And because he's by himself, a group of uh, rebels or robbers attack him, uh, leave him for dead, take his stuff, and they're gone. Along comes a priest. Think of a pastor. Along comes a pastor. It's possible this priest probably saw this person in Jerusalem at the temple worshiping. Probably encountered him. Maybe this priest is the one who took his sacrifice and offered up to the Lord. And this priest on his way sees a man lying down. Instead of stopping, he what? Passes by on the other side. Along comes a Levite. The Levites were a group of family from which the priests came from. In fact, the whole book of Leviticus is about who? Them. So does he know, Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself, does he know that? Most likely, yes. Sees his neighbor that looks like him, that believes as he believes, instead of helping him, he goes by on the other side. But then here's Jesus saying in verse 33, but a Samaritan... Now, the audience hearing this, they're they're probably like, okay, this guy's terrible. If the Levite, if the priest passed by the guy, this Samaritan will kill that guy. That's the image in their mind. And they're shocked by this. Because what Jesus says, the Samaritan comes by. He stops. Sees the man. Treats the man of his injuries. Takes him to an inn. And saves the man's life. After hearing this story, Christ tells the lawyer, who was a neighbor? And the answer is the Samaritan. He says, go and do likewise. In this story, the Samaritan showed love. He showed love. And in the Greek language, there are many words for love. In fact, C.S. Lewis in his book, uh, The Four Loves, talks about four of them. We have storge, which is basically familial love. I love you because you are my brother, my sister, my mom, my dad, my grandparents, my parents. I love you because you are family. We're related because of blood. There is philia. I love you because you're my friend. We hang out together. The Super Bowl. You come to my house tonight to watch it. Go Chiefs. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. You're my friend. There's eras. Romantic love. Girl, I love you because you're fine. (laughs) Romantic, passion, love. Now, all these loves, along with the others, except for one, are conditional, right? I love you because you're my family member, but if you're not my family member, I don't store J love you. I love you because you're my friend, but if we're not friends, I don't love you that way. I love you because you're fine. If you're not fine, I ain't going to love you. I'm running away. I'm kidding, <laughs> okay? It's all condition based on something. And we all know that there's a fourth kind of love called agape love, which is tied to the Old Testament word hesed of this loyal, faithful, committed, merciful, kind love. And that love is unconditional. I love you no matter what. I love you, and my love for you is going to cost me something because I feel that, I know that about you. And Christ sits here, the Samaritan here, has this agape type of love. This love that costs something, that's expensive, that pulls something from you for another. I want to highlight four ways in this story where agape love demonstrated by the Samaritan cost him. Four things that it cost this Samaritan. The first thing we see in verse 34. He went to the man. The Samaritan went to the man. He bandaged his wounds. Pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, look after him. He said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. First in the cost the Samaritan, his love was his resource, his resources. We're told a man sees this guy down here and he says he takes what belongs to him, what he brought for himself in case he got hurt the oil, the wine, the bandage. He puts the man on his own donkey while he walks to the, the inn. He pays two denarii for the man, about two days worth of wages. That's about $400 today. For a man he's never really known, for his enemy. And then he says, when I come back, I'll pay even more for this particular person. A couple years ago, we're leaving our neighborhood, and there's a man, an old man, who's on the ground, blood coming from his forehead. Long story short, um, Kelly gets out of the car before I can respond and goes to care for this man. Helps the man up, puts the man in our car with our two kids in there, and blood is getting everywhere. Exactly. My car being blood, I, 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 I gotta figure it am right? I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated about the blood. I took the man to his home, helped him get it back to his house, and Kelly could tell I'm upset. She's like, E, why are you upset? All this blood here, blood there, I gotta fix this. She goes, Honey, his life. And yet you're more concerned about blood in your car. That's old. It's hard to use what we have. What we work hard for, for someone else. To give our resources to someone, even if they're in need. But here's the thing. When our resources, which are used uh, to help us in life as tools, when they become the source, because we don't give it away, there's a problem. When our resources become the source, there is an issue. Because we're making our resources the source of life. When in reality, there's only one who is life who gives us resources to benefit us and his kingdom in this world. So, can we see our resources, our money, our things as tools to be used for God's kingdom, for God's glory, and for the good of his world? What things are your own? What things are yours? That you're holding and saying, this is the source of my life. When in reality, they're a resource to help other people. To advance God's kingdom in that manner. Part of our three-year goal is to be one church with multiple expressions. Expressions with an S. Here's the thing. As a multicultural gathering, we have more resources than the other two expressions. What can we do? to help our brothers and sisters who need it. What can we give? Is it our money, our cars, our spaces for the person who is our neighbor? Love not only costs the good Samaritan his resources, it also costs him his time. Now in this story, Christ does not tell us where the Samaritan is going. Maybe to Jerusalem to go worship. Maybe back home. Maybe on a business trip. We don't know where he's going. But what we do know, he sees a man on the ground. He puts his life on hold to give his time to someone who needed his time. He put his life on hold for someone else. He stopped, which took time. Got off his donkey, which took time. Went to go assess the person, which took time. Put bandage on the, on the, on the person, which took time. Put the man on his own donkey and walked to the inn, which took time. He took care of the man in there, which took time. And he said, I'll come back later on, which will take more time from him. This is not time that he planned. He didn't say, hey, today I'm going to be walking around. Someone's going to get hurt. I'm, he didn't plan that. It was a disrupted time. It's kind of like when you are going on a trip with your kids and you say, hey, let's use the bathroom. No, nah, we ain't, we ain't got to go, mom and dad. We're good. No, we should go. No, nah, we ain't got to go. You get in the car five minutes into the trip, halfway through, or when you're almost there, we got to go to the bathroom. Or it's kind of like when you're at work or you're at home, you get a phone call that a good friend or family member is in the hospital you didn't plan it you didn't want it to happen but it disrupted your time and because of love you pull over for your kids you leave what you what you're what you're doing to go see your family or friend in the hospital Martin Luther King calls this costly disruption it's a love that, is, that costs you your time. It disrupts what you're doing for the other. And we know for him, and countless others, it cost them his life. Because that's, the kind, of, that's the kind of love that he had. I'll be honest, I've witnessed this in this church. A few months ago, my wife and I and the kids were driving back from CG. We got into an accident. And here we are, it's 930 it's on a Wednesday night. Tomorrow, we have to work. Wife has to work. Kids have to go to daycare. I'm trying to get home to get them into bed. We're in the middle of the road on university. So we call Josh. Hey, Josh, we need help. He wasn't planning for that. He wasn't hoping for that, I think. <laughs> in fact, I know he wasn't. But he came and for literally two hours held my kids. Spoke with Kelly. Didn't complain once. Took us home. Love for us cost him his time. Love will cost us our time. So what can we pull away from? Do we have spaces in our life to give up something, to give up our time for someone else? Love will cost us our resources, our time. But something else as well. Our reputation. Uh, it's no secret that Jews and Samaritans hated each other. There's a long history that's fascinating behind that, but they despised each other. And so here is a man walking, the good Samaritan walking, sees his enemy on the ground, and he stops. And it sounds all good and great, but again, it, it's costing him something. His, his honor his, his, his honor is, is, is on the line here. His reputation is on the line here if he stops to help this particular person. I mean, imagine someone on uh, one political uh, extreme position politically in our country today helping someone on the other extreme. Imagine a black person in the 1850s helping a white abuser. Imagine a Jew living in 1940s Germany, helping a Nazi soldier. Imagine a Tutsi woman helping a Hutu neighbor. When their friends, family member, hear about what they've done, they're going to talk. That person is a traitor. That person hates us, hates his own kind of people. The Good Samaritan's repetition here is on the line. Yet he stops to help the person. When you love this way, it doesn't matter what people think about you. Because what really matters is what he says about you. And what he he says, the person there is a brother, is a sister. And what he says is greater than the boundaries we put between each other. Our barriers mean nothing compared to what he says about that person. Because he values the other person. In fact, Christ loves them. And if I love Jesus, if I love Christ, I will also love that person. Even if it costs me my reputation. Love, agape love, expensive love, will cost our time, our resource, reputation. But lastly, our comfort. I would say comfort encapsulates or captures all these three other costs. The Burner Group says that one of the dangers of American Christianity, the biggest temptation, is the American comfort. We love our comfort. And comfort's not a bad thing. But when everything's about comfort, there's a problem. And there's some things that comfort needs to be broken so we actually do the right thing. Christ has not promised us comfort. He promised us not safety, not an easy life, but eternal life. Which means getting uncomfortable. Which means loving people when it costs me something. I would call this Christ-like love. Why? Because when I'm following Jesus, implied in that is loving people in an expensive kind of way. Amen. If I'm being carved into the image of Christ, I am being made and carved into to a person that loves in a costly way, that loves in an expensive way. I've shared this story before. Mirlof, Miroslav Volf is a professor at Yale University. He has a story where he says, when I was getting his Ph.D. under Uri Moltmann, I did a seminar on 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. After working through what, what the Greek and what the word love means, his supervisor, Moltman, said, Hey, how can you, a creation, love your enemy, the Serbians? When Wolf was growing up, his father was a pastor. There's a war happening between the, Serbs, the Serbians and the Croatian over independence. And Volf saw his father as a Baptist minister be abused and attacked by the Serbians. And so he hated them. And so here he is later on, talking about love, biblical love, agape love, expensive love. And his supervisor says, Can you love your Serbian enemy this way? Involves is at that point I realized if I cannot love my serving enemy, I cannot call myself a Christ follower. To follow Christ means to love in a costly manner that costs us our resources, our time, reputation, and our comfort. So here's Nate at the hospital the waiting room. This little girl doesn't know what's going on except for that she fainted. Doctors come out and basically tell him, your daughter has a bad heart. She's going to die. He walks into the room and sees her and says, Daddy, have they told you that I'm going to die? With tears in his eyes, says, no, you're going to live. He sits with her, calls off for work the next couple of days, spending time with his daughter. Eventually, he's got to get out and go because they're going to do a procedure or try to do a procedure. As he's walking out, his daughter says, Daddy, how do you know I will live? I just know. A few days later, Jayla turned 15. After the operation, her grandma picked her up and took her home. And she's wondering, where's dad? She gets home, goes to her room, sees a letter on her bed. Letter reads this My dearest daughter, if you're reading this, means that everything went well as I told you it would. A few years ago, if you remember, you asked me what I would give you for your 15th birthday. I didn't know it then. My present to you is my heart. Mon coeur. Nate's love for his daughter cost him his resource. His heart. It cost him his time. No longer will he live anymore on this side of eternity. Reputation. People who told him don't don't adopt this child. What are they gonna think about him now? Obviously, it cost him his comfort. I know of a different father who gave his heart who so gave his resource. We're told that Christ gives to us what belongs to him. We get to rule and reign with him for eternity. Amen. We're called sons and daughters of the most high God. You are a prince. You are royalty because of what Christ gave up for us. That's his, and now we have it. Amen. He gave us time. He existed beyond time without time, yet he entered time for us. Reputation. Paul says in Romans, uh, most people don't, don't die for good people, and yet Christ died for us. Mm-hmm. How crazy is that? In fact, in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, we're told that Christ is traveling through Samaria. The Samaritans kick him out. The disciple says, Jesus, you call on fire from heaven like Elijah against the Samaritans, against your enemies. Christ says, no. His enemies rejected him. And yet the very next chapter, the story that he tells is about his enemies being the good guy. His reputation for us. His comfort. Never knowing pain. Never knowing what it's like, what it's like to be in want. This morning I picked up Jay, so I'm like... Oh, you're so little. You're you're so needy. And it hit me. Our God was like that. Needing diaper changes. Think about that for a second. God needed his diapers changed for us. He gave everything for us. That's Christ-like love. If you're in here and say, No, I'm not a Christian. I don't follow this Jesus guy. Maybe you're curious. I'm glad you're here. Because guess what? Your creator loves you that way. Amen. We're to give up time, resource, comfort, reputation just for you. If you've been a Christian for so many years or, or for a couple of years, your creator loves you this manner. And he calls you, he invites you to love other people in this way. Because that's what changes the world the early church changed the Roman Empire not because of fighting or protest, but because of love. Pure love. Christ-like love. Expensive, costly love. I close with this. My challenge to you guys is to continue loving in this manner and to go above and beyond. Can you find somebody this week and love them in a way that will cost you something that you own. Can you find somebody so we can love them by giving them your time? That's precious that you won't ever get back. Can you find someone and love them in a way that will cost you what people think about you? Can you love someone this week that pulls you away from your comfort? Now, hear me well. Costly, expensive love does not mean you give everything. Always. If you do, you won't have anything to give at all. But it does mean give something. Costly love also means to receive. Some of us here are prideful to receive help. You're hopping on one leg. Hey, can I help you? Nah, I got it. When we do that, we're saying, hey, what you give isn't good enough. We're not, I'm not valuing you enough. We need to receive from other people and show love to them by receiving. Amen. So it might mean receiving someone's help, even if it makes you uncomfortable, even if it shadows your pride. Can we keep loving in this way? Because that's what changes the world. That's what it means to be a christ follower would you pray with me as the prayer team comes up again if you're a non-believer I'm glad you're here if you're not a Christian I'm glad you are here in a moment here we're going to sing I have a time of prayer I want to invite you to come up people up here who love to just pray with you and for you If you're a Christian and you need, uh, Lord, to change your heart so you can love in this way, I invite you to come up as well. And for any other request, please do so. Lord God, you gave us your heart. You gave us your all. You gave us yourself. And it cost you all that you had. And Lord, we're grateful. We're thankful for that. Lord, my prayer this morning is that you will help us to love other people in the same way. To demonstrate your love as you've demonstrated towards us. We're not able to, Holy Spirit, help us, empower us, remind us. It is your love, Christ, that changes the world for your glory and for our good. Amen.